Hello friends, uh, this message is um, coming to you all the way from Texas, North Richland Hills to be exact. The title is Prepare Your Heart and my text is Galatians chapter 5 verses 22 to 26. A few weeks back I was scanning my Facebook feed and I was struck by the comments made by people who disagreed with the post. And now, understand this, people can comment on a Facebook post if they want to, except some of them were just downright mean and pretty ugly, in fact. And what amazed me about these comments, in addition to being mean-spirited, was that many of them were posted on Sunday morning. In other words, as these people were preparing to go to God's house and worship with God's people, or, yes, even preach to God's people, they took time out of their Sunday morning routine to vilify someone who, in their opinion... Um, has a few strong wrong ideas or an idea that was certainly different than theirs. I got to thinking about how these commenters appeared to be true to truly believe that they are so much more correct than you know these other poor ill-advised people and since they were so completely out in left field it's okay to insult because after all they would say I'm right and you're wrong which means I'm the good guy and you're the bad guy and I can say what I want to say no holds barred. Now, full disclosure, I didn't agree with everything the person who posted something said. And if it might come up in conversation with them at some point, I'm just not sure the comment section of a blog is the best place to try to fix people. But it got me to thinking about how we sometimes have a distorted idea of what spiritual maturity really looks like. We seem to think that if a person has enough knowledge and uses the correct terminology and can quote the right people, then they must be spiritually uh, mature uh, because they're so informed and they have the opinions to prove it. And so it doesn't matter if they're mean or hateful. They're right, right? Well, actually, it's wrong. In the Gospels and in the letters of Paul, in fact, throughout the entire New Testament, we encounter a different measure of true spirituality. It's not based on the opinions you derive. It's based on the life that you live and the person that you are. See, true spirituality um, is marked by Christian character, and Christian character is defined to a great extent by how you treat others. That's why Paul said in Colossians chapter 1, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Now, today I'm going to start a series of messages on the fruit of the Spirit, and you're no doubt familiar with this list. If not, you soon will be, and by the end of the series you'll be able to recite them in your sleep. Well, at least I would hope so. But more importantly, I think you will have a handle on seeing each aspect of the Spirit's fruit come alive in your daily life. In this series, we're going to hold up these nine qualities as models of spiritual maturity, and these nine qualities define the person that God wants you to be more than anything else. And I do want to make it clear that this does not diminish the importance of having an accurate understanding of theology and sound doctrine and knowing what you believe and being able to defend biblical truth. But it does put all our knowledge into a greater context. How how does what we believe affect how we live and how does it affect the person we become? Now, throughout this series, we're going to be looking at a number of different texts. 
But the go-to text is, of course, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We're going to look at each one of these over the next nine weeks, but right now I will split a grammatical hair just to make it clear. We often refer to the fruits of the Spirit as if there are nine of them, but Paul refers to the fruit, singular, of the Spirit. All nine go together and build on one another. So I will apologize in advance in case I inadvertently refer to them as individual fruits. Uh, These nine qualities make up the fruit of the Spirit. Now, why is that significant? Well, because they are a unit. It's not like a buffet. You can't say, I'm going to take joy and peace, but self-control and patience. Well, I'm not very good at that. Uh, But you understand, they all come together. And speaking of fruit, when I was growing up, we had an apple tree in our backyard, but we never really ate the apples. They weren't very big, about the size of golf balls, maybe, and about the same texture. And I used to knock them around with my baseball bat. They were what you might call feral apples. I mean, sometimes you find examples of fruit flourishing in the wild, but not this tree. The potential was there, but it never developed. But move forward many years to my vicarage time out of the seminary in Washington State, and I learned a little bit about the process of harvesting apples. They need a lot of water. They need to be pruned. The tree needs to be healthy. The clusters need to be thinned, and on and on. It's the same way with the fruit of the Spirit. These qualities exist in your spiritual DNA, so to speak, because you are a new creation in Christ, and the Holy Spirit is living within you. So the potential is there, but it needs to be developed and nurtured and cultivated. And that's the focus of this series. Our goal is that over the course of these 10 weeks, we're going to see some growth in each of these areas as we go closer to the Holy Spirit. Now today, let's talk about the first step of spiritual growth. And you could also call it the key to transformation. And this is where it begins for you, for me, for every Christ follower. If you want to grow in your spiritual life, if you want to bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit in your daily walk, this is where it all begins. Now, there are three things you need to do daily to cultivate the Spirit's fruit. And the the key word here is daily. So first of all, daily, prepare your heart. Now, whenever I hear this phrase, I think of the Old Testament verse about King Rehoboam in 2 Chronicles 12. It says that he did evil because he prepared not his heart to seek the Lord. Now, when I say prepare your heart, I'm talking about preparing yourself for growth. And how are you going to do that? Well, I'd suggest to you it begins on your knees. It begins with prayer. I mean, simply asking God to make these qualities come alive in your life. Now, John Stott is one of the greatest teachers and theologians of our time, and he went home to be with the Lord about a year ago. I think he was about 90 he spent most of his ministry serving just one church, All Souls, Langham Place in London, England. He wrote many books and he preached all over the world. And he, had a, he was a tremendous influence on, on so many lives. Uh, in 2005, in fact, Time Magazine named him one of, the most, one of the hundred most influential people in the world. And for many years, he began each day with the same prayer, and it included this phrase, Holy Spirit, I pray that this day you will fill me with yourself and cause your fruit to ripen in my life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now this was his daily prayer. This was how important these nine qualities were to him. 
it's quite a challenging list, and the fact is we'll never get there without God's help. We cannot develop these qualities on our own, so cultivating the fruit of the Spirit begins with a prayer. God, make these qualities real in my life. Now, you also prepare your heart by daily spending time in the Word. When you read the Bible, God speaks to you about you. The Holy Spirit will draw to your attention certain attitudes you need to change, certain actions you need to avoid, certain behaviors you need to put into practice. So each morning, you can turn to the biblical narrative and say, God, tell me what I need to hear to become more like Jesus. And remember, it needs to be a daily practice. I mean, preparing your heart in this way is like preparing soil. You're breaking up the fallow ground. You're getting beneath the hard stuff, and you're getting into an area where the seeds of growth can take root. For the Spirit's fruit to ripen in your life, you need to prepare your heart each day. And instead of being like Rehoboam, we need to be like Ezra. Ezra 7.10 says, And Ezra prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord. And as you spend time in fellowship with each God, he will lead you to the next step, which is every day prune away every obstacle. Now, I want you to understand this. I am not a gardener. But when I moved into my current home, uh, we decided to put in a couple of knockout rose bushes. And while I did water them, one thing I did not do was prune them. I was just happy that they grew and had some flowers, at least to start with. Now, little did I know they needed to be pruned regularly. See, that's how important pruning is. When you prune, you're removing obstacles to growth. And it works the same way in the spiritual life. You constantly need to be pruning and thinning anything that stands in the way of your spiritual growth. Now, some of these are obvious, like sin. I mean, other things are less obvious because they're not necessarily bad. They're just not the best use of your time. One of the former NFL football coaches, uh, George Allen, had a sign in his office wall that said, Is what I'm doing right now taking me closer to my ultimate goal of winning? Now, this is the kind of question we need to ask when we're pruning our daily lives. Is this way of doing things taking me closer to my ultimate goal of becoming a spiritually mature follower of Jesus, the Messiah? This is why a friend of mine recently disabled his Facebook account. He said it just consumed far too much of my time and few of the conversations were what I would call productive. Now, if canceling a social media account is unthinkable to you, maybe that's a signal that you might need to think about it. Or you can do what another friend did. They deleted Facebook from their phone. They can access it now only on their home computer. In this way, it consumes less of their time. My point is, is not that social media is the enemy. My point is there are many things in our lives that stand in the way of our greater spiritual growth and we need to be willing to prune them out. And for some of them, that may be I won't discuss politics anymore because the topic tends to bring out the worst in me or I'll limit TV to an hour a day because it gets in the way of better things or I'm going to stop trying to be funny because after all, my jokes aren't all that funny and some of them even tend to hurt others and, you know, on and on. This is what the writer of Hebrews was talking about when he said in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, Let us also lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And this is the kind of pruning that is necessary if we're to grow into the fullness of Jesus. Now, there's a third step involved in cultivating this, this fruit of the Spirit. You need to daily practice each quality. 
Now, do you know how do you get better at loving others? Well, the same way you get to Carnegie Hall, you practice. Do you know how you become more patient? You practice. Do you know how to develop self-control? Practice. Now, here's a paradox of the Christian life. You can't become spiritually mature by your own effort. Neither can you become spiritually mature without your own effort. Now, I've heard people say, well, if God wants me to be patient, he'll just have to make me patient because I have no patience. Now, friend, if your heart desires to become patient, God will make you patient. Part of the process of this transformation is that you practice patience as often as you can. And see, practice is the key word. It's just like swinging a, a baseball bat and trying to play the right notes on the piano. Sometimes you get it right, sometimes you get it wrong, but the more you practice it, this quality, the more God makes it grow. This is why Paul said in Philippians 4, 9, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. In other words, you can't do it by your own effort. Neither can you do it without any effort at all. What you are willing to practice, God will bring to perfection. This is why we need to keep these qualities in front of us every day of our lives, front and center, so that we will always remember the exact direction God wants us to go character-wise. This is what spiritual maturity really looks like. Now, I've heard people say that when you have the Holy Spirit, these qualities will naturally come to you as if it's some effortless thing or inevitable. But that's not accurate. You can't just stick the apple tree in the backyard of the lot and let it fend for itself. That, that's not how the spiritual life works. It must be cultivated daily. And do you know what you call this daily cultivation? It's called walking in the Spirit. I mean, this, that's how most Bible versions say it. I love the way this phrase is, is in the NIV, Galatians 5.26. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. See, preparing your heart, pruning away obstacles, practicing each quality, that's what keeping in step with the Spirit is. It's a daily process, and so today I'm challenging each one of you and myself for the duration of this series at least to pray your version of this prayer every day. Holy Spirit, I pray that this day you will fill me with yourself and cause your fruit to ripen in my life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is the first in cultivating the Spirit's fruit in our daily lives. Until next time, see the vision, live the mission, feel the passion.